This episode is brought to you with support from PerfectDailyGrind.com. Perfect Daily Grind, your source for coffee education, articles, videos, and more, from the farm to the cup. If you've ever seen the words Café de Colombia on a bag of green coffee or heard of a man with the name Juan Valdez, you may be familiar with today's guest on the show. Velez is the CEO of what is called the National Federation of Coffee Growers of Colombia, which represents roughly 540,000 producers in Colombia. The Federation has a rich history in Colombian coffee, which we don't really have the time to review in depth today. In short, the Federation was established by coffee producers for coffee producers as early as 1920. A lot has happened since then. Today, the Federation is held in high regard for their success within the coffee sector in economics and science. Today, Mr. Velez joins the conversation on the economic sustainability of coffee and the current coffee price crisis. I want to get a little bit of your personal story out um, to our podcast listeners so they can get an idea of who you are as a person before they start to understand some of the topics that we're going to cover so can you tell us a little bit about your coffee story? How did you end up where you are today? Well, I myself am coming from the coffee growing area of Colombia. My grandfather had a farm, coffee farm. My father had a coffee farm. When I was at high school, we used to pick coffee with my brothers and we had fun and even we we were we got paid by our dad. Uh, for doing such a, a, a tremendous job <laughs> of picking good, good berries. And then um, I uh, came to Bogota, I studied economics, went to England, and I had a master's degree in business. Came back to Colombia and joined the Federation in 1985. I initially worked in Bogota in the commercial area. I went to an office in New York for a trainee as a young executive. Then I went to uh, our Tokyo office that serves the Asia market for uh, almost four years. Came back and I had a, a couple of breaks from uh, the Federation. One was uh, in 1994 when I went uh, as ambassador, first Colombian ambassador to Malaysia, being a very young guy. I came back to the Federation two years later, started the specialty program of the Federation, then went back to Tokyo for another four years, mm. came back as a commercial manager of the Federation. I decided to prove myself and my life out of the Federation in 2008, and then 2011 was appointed as ambassador to the United Arab Emirates, also first Colombian ambassador. I, I served for three years in Abu Dhabi and then went to Tokyo as a Colombian ambassador to Japan. And um, in 2015, uh, I was called to represent the coffee growers, uh, the CEO of the Colombian Coffee Federation. Wow. You've uh, done a lot of travel, it sounds like, in your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a new bet. Quite a bit. Well, awesome. Thanks for sharing your story. I'm, I'm excited to get into uh, a little bit about the FNC so we can see uh, economic sustainability from the perspective of the FNC. So let's start with some history. When was the FNC established and why was it established? 
FNC was established in uh, 1927 by the by a bunch of coffee growers that uh, saw themselves the need to found an association to try to improve the livelihood of the coffee grower farmers. And uh, ever since, uh, that's been our our goal and our aim uh, for almost 92 years now. Um, mm. Yet uh, the way that uh, coffee spread out through Colombia. And the way that coffee became uh, a very important uh, crop, or the most important crop of Colombia, the Federation became a very powerful unit uh, by means of uh, charging a tax on the coffee exports and keeping that in a fund to do social benefits for the coffee growers. Okay. The, the Federation became uh, such an institution uh, that uh, initially started to provide the the public goods for the coffee growing areas such as electricity roads uh, schooling um, bridges uh, um, healthcare um, um, small uh, hospitals in the coffee farm in the coffee growing area at the point that the federation was considered a state within the state hmm. that is the Fer- coffee growing federation is it fair to call those uh, programs that the that the tax money would use um, be used for? Are those called extension programs, or is that not the word for it? Yeah, today today the federation provides four main services to the coffee growers. One, what we call the purchase guarantee, which is all coffee that is produced in Colombia will be purchased at the best possible price in cash, uh, close the closest uh, to the coffee growers as possible, and uh, during the 365 days a year. That means that uh, the coffee grower itself uh, has not uh, a, any concern about where or how to sell and what would be the price of their coffee. And that sounds uh, not very relevant up until you come to areas or to crops that have no such a service. Then the grower of tomatoes or whatever it is has to go to the to the main city and try to sell the products. By the time he his product is right, right everything is uh, at the same time as, a, as an offer. And then he or she might not find a buyer for the product. That mm. hasn't uh, that doesn't happen to coffee. I see. So that's the first service. Number two service is uh, research and development. We have uh, probably the most renowned service of uh, research in the world and the most sophisticated. We call it Seni Cafe. So mm. all technology and all new advances in coffee. Are, are created, studied, developed, and uh, or implemented in Seni Cafe. Then we have more than 1,400 extensionists, which is which are agronomists that take all this knowledge of Seni Cafe and all these recommendations and bring it back to the coffee growing areas to the. In, into the coffee coffee communities, hmm. they work with the coffee growers. They teach the coffee growers. They uh, go hand in hand to provide them with the knowledge and with the with the latest that technologies that we develop. And the fourth is the promotion and advertising of Colombian coffee all throughout the, the world. 
Those are the main four services that today the Federation provides to the coffee grower. We've covered pretty well what the relationship of the FNC is to producer uh, producers through uh, all these programs. My next question is, what is your perspective? What is the FNC's relationship to the rest of the coffee world? Well, uh, Jesse, we've been very active um, in the international community. Although Colombia is not the, the, the largest coffee grower in the world, I think Colombia is well-known and well-renowned for being one of the, of the leaders in the coffee world community. Ever since uh, the coffee agreement started in 1962, there's been a very close relationship between the coffee growers community. And in, in that, we meet uh, our friends from other countries and uh, we uh, normally stay very much in touch with all of them. As Colombia, we promoted the first uh, coffee growers forum uh, that was uh, held in Medellin in uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in, in that forum, the idea was to gather all the coffee growing community to talk about the issues and the topics that concern all of us. I had the pleasure, actually, of attending that event, and uh, I got to experience that uh, firsthand, uh, not just that, but uh, Colombia for the first time, and uh, also some FNC uh, farms out there, coffee farms, so it was quite an experience. So I had a little bit of an idea of the international uh, context that the FNC has, and I'm glad you brought up the World Coffee Producers Forum, um, because I believe there's another one coming up uh, pretty soon in Brazil. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. July 10th and 11th, the, the second um, coffee uh, growers forum, uh, producers forum is, will be uh, held in, in Campinas, Brazil. There we will discuss the latest about coffee that are only sad news, unfortunately. But um, we will have the opportunity to discuss among ourselves and more, more important, uh, we have, uh, ever since we conceived the, the Coffee Growers Forum, has been thinking that uh, there should be a place we can we can gather not only coffee producers, but the whole coffee community to discuss the issues and the topics that are relevant to all of us. Hmm. I like that you brought up, um, you, you called it sad news, and uh, the very real news that the industry is facing is the current coffee price crisis. My next question to you is, why do you believe we are in a crisis today? Jesse, uh, definitely, well, if, if one has to be very purist, um, you will have to say, well, Brazil had a, a very large crop last year, and that put a little bit of surplus to the whole world supply, thus bringing the coffee prices uh, down. Yet, uh, that is a very very academic look into the coffee world. I think there are many more things happening behind the curtains that are bringing prices to this level. One one of them is the big participation of the investors' funds in the coffee market, in the New York's ice coffee. They, they've been holding a, a very large or extremely large short position meaning that they've been selling futures of coffee for the last almost 27 months. 
And uh, now they are accounting for a huge position that has been, of course, based on this uh, larger supply of coffee in Brazil, given the market a much deeper trend into the downward side. Therefore, we are now under 90 cents, which is something that one cannot imagine that could happen in the coffee world, um, I don't know, four or five years ago. Mm. I I have a few uh, quick questions for you um, regarding uh, what you just said. I, I do hear the academic side of the explanation uh, quite often, uh, but you also brought up an economic reality um, outside of the surplus from Brazil. And it sounds, it, you know, economics is not my strong suit. Is Can you explain that? Is, uh, is this... This is something that we've been preaching already for almost three years, that uh, the the coffee community should uh, work together, hand in hand, as a a chain that uh, must be and had to be sustainable for the future. Hmm. Therefore, we cannot see each other as uh, two parts you're a buyer and I'm a seller. You're on one side of the river and I'm on the other side of the river. No, we are all we are all connected and we are all the same in the same boat. So what we have to is uh, we and and this is this is our main theory back is that we have to be co-responsible. That we want to bring the world co-responsibility into this game, saying that we need to take care of the next step of the chain if we want the whole chain to be successful and sustainable for the future. Mm. So it's uh, it's uh, it's a very selfish position to stay and say, no, there's a surplus and therefore prices must be at the point where they are now Mm. that they don't cover the cost of production. Thus, whereas the industry is doing well, whereas the coffee consumption is still going up, where the prices of a cup of coffee worldwide is still maintaining, here at this side of the world, where we produce the coffee, the, we are not earning and we are not getting paid uh, enough to cover our cost of production and our cost of living for our ourselves and our families. Hmm. Therefore, therefore, Jesse, this is what is become. This is what is more complicated. This has already transpassed the point of an economic crisis and is becoming a humanitarian crisis. If you go to countries in Central America, in South America, and even in Colombia, people are abandoning their farms, looking for something else that can provide the income. People are doing whatever they can in order to in order to complete uh, the the income to have enough money to feed themselves. So we are in a in a in a very delicate position, and again. This doesn't sound very logical because the coffee world itself is providing enough money to the industry that uh, the the industry could pay enough to the coffee growers to the point that they can cover the cost of production plus some profitability. What would you say or what do you believe the FNC's role is through all of this? 
our, our role our, our role is always the same. Our role is try to look for the the and and strive for the well being of the coffee growers. And ever since I came as CEO of the Federation, I, I have to, I always said that we have to bring back the profitability to the coffee world, or or else we have to go out of coffee, and people will start going out of coffee. And we just uh, saw the latest news from Colombia in the last three years. We have lost already 60,000 hectares uh, of coffee that have gone to uh, some other products. Mm, wow. and, and this will keep going and going and going unless, again, the industry. Because now nowadays, uh, a coffee grower has not enough money uh, to feed their family, they look into us or into the government. And it's been the governments, not only of Colombia, but I spoke to Guatemala and Honduras and uh, Peru, and it's been the governments of poor countries that are taking money out of their budgets to try to support an industry, uh, uh, the coffee growers, while you have an industry that is making tons of money and is making a lot of profits in a, in a very healthy atmosphere because the coffee consumption, again, is growing to the point of, of between 1.5 to 2%, which is a marvelous performance for any commodity worldwide. Mm. Yeah, that information is really helpful to really think about uh, the full picture. I guess... A uh, follow-up question would be, I know that some people would say from an academic perspective that producers pulling out of coffee is a sort of automatic correction or a built-in correction to the surplus. Um, have you heard people say that? And what is your response to that statement? Jesse, um, I heard, of course, and I've been called crazy, lunatic for uh, uh, stating what I just said, that we should be looking ourselves not as two parts of the of, of an equation, but main, more like a, a chain itself. What I can answer is that first, we are not growing wheat, we are not growing soybean, we are not growing maize in the sense that this is not every cultivar that you can just take out and uh, grow the next, and in three months, if it is not profitable, you change for another. This is uh, this is a long-term um, business. You you mm -hmm. plant a coffee tree, and it will it will take two years to bear fruit, and it will stay there for the next twenty years. So asking a grower to take out the coffee and then go back to coffee is almost impossible. That's mm. that's number one. That's that's number one. Number two. Economic theory works nicely if you are producing nails or you are producing chairs and, and you can, can switch and you're going to close your, your factory and go somewhere else or start a new business. We are talking to human beings. We are talking about poor communities. We are talking, of, in the case of Colombia, of land where only coffee is, is the only alternative. There are some others that we in there, but they are not legal, and that's what we don't want, and that's what we want. We are always also 
uh, warning the world that uh, don't push the coffee growers and the and the grow and the uh, uh, the the communities to start growing illegal crops. Hmm. Keep them in a, in legal business, but you have, we need to pay them at least the cost of production plus plus on profitability. Hmm. What is the average cost of production? Do you have that number available so we can compare it to the current price? Yeah, Jesse, I I guess uh, the cost. Cost of production in Colombia will be between 140 in terms of uh, US dollars per cent, 140 to 145. Oh wow! So we're talking. And then, yeah. and then again, that's that. That is not that I'm asking because I've been also called a fool because if you take prices of coffee in uh, in the late 1980s. Uh, and you project that with the with the inflation of the U.S., the same the same pound of coffee at the price that it was in the late day in the 80s would be now between three dollars to three dollars fifty. So mm-hmm. where I'm not I'm not saying that the industry should pay three dollars three dollars fifty. And again, I've been called a fool for, by not asking that. We I'm only asking industry, and I've been in front, Jesse. I've been in front of the main CEOs of the coffee uh, industry, mm. asking them, please commit you commit with me that you won't pay under the cost of production. It's that it has it makes no sense that while the industry is making a lot of money, they are still asking us to sell our coffee under our cost of production. From an, it sounds like from an academic perspective, right? It's kind of like you said before, there's an, uh, a pervasive yep. academic perspective. And if uh, those CEOs hold that perspective and don't see the human element. Exactly. And then when you asked me about the thoughts of the academics saying that no, you should go out of coffee and say, well, what else can we go mm-hmm. in the steep mountains of Colombia? And I said, that, well, we don't want... And, and and it would be a shame that the industry is pushing would be pushing the coffee growers to grow illegal crops. Mm. It sounds like, uh, Mr. Roberto, that your goal is to change people's minds, is to change their well, minds about what how they Jesse, think. I think I think we have to we have to go to a next level of the economics. Where yes, supply and demand is important, but sustainability is more important. If you go out there and you ask and you talk to people and you talk to the centennials and you talk to millennials and the the new generations, the way they conceive the world is a world that is sustainable. But sustainability has three dimensions. One is of course the one that everybody uh, is fan of it and we all should care which is the one that has to be the to do with the environment so the environmental dimension is very important the second pillar is the social dimension we don't want uh, children working we we need uh, to to have an equality of gender and opportunities we have to give people the right to associate and to and to and to do things uh we have to give people opportunity for studying and uh, healthcare but that's the second dimension and third the third dimension is something that nobody cares 
which is the economic dimension. So yes, environmental is nice, and the coffee grower is, must take care of the environment and the water and the trees and the birds, and and we have to give every time more space to the women were in coffee, and we are doing so. But yet we have to give the coffee grower the fair price for the product, or else we are not a sustainable business. Mm. And what we are preaching and what we are inviting the coffee community is to become the first industry that can claim itself to be a, a, a truly sustainable industry for the future. And uh, that mm. we should work together to ease the problems of the whole chain not only prices, yes, because today is prices, but then will be climate change, and then there will be the new generation in coffee. And, and we have on and on and on and on issues that should tackle together should we want to be a really sustainable industry for the future. Hmm. I see. And, and when you say a fair price for producers, you really mean a, a profitable price, a price that... Well, yeah, Jesse. I what I what I mean as a third price is something that uh, with the, that the coffee grower can cover the cost of production and mm-hmm. have an, a normal profitability. That would be the least that we can offer them. Yeah, there's there's so much here, and, and I'm happy that you're giving me a very clear perspective of your mission. And it sounds like the mission that is shared at the FNC. And uh, we have now moved into the topic naturally of economic sustainability, which was the direction we plan to go. So I do want to say this isn't the first coffee price crisis in coffee history. Do you think as a trend, have you, do you think that coffee has been economically sustainable in the past or is this something that's never been achieved? No, coffee, coffee was a sustainable product when, uh, when, when we work under the ICA International Coffee Agreement that was, that ran from nineteen sixty two to nineteen eighty nine. It was conceived and created but uh, by pre- President Kennedy uh where the price of coffee was within a range uh, that was product that was profitable for the coffee growers. There was an agreement between the import the coffee importers and the coffee exporters country to say how much coffee will flow from the from the producers to the consumer world and uh, all that agreed the coffee growers uh, countries uh, split the quota among themselves and we uh, and the the export started and the flow of coffee was that enough for the industry to to grow and uh, coffee growers were very happy because prices were rewarded and profitable for the for the business. Hmm. Uh, so, so the coffee grower, the the coffee world knows we can work together and make a a feasible business for all of us. If I remember correctly, based on the history, that agreement was made in a in a time of crisis. Is that correct? So it was a response to a crisis. Well, it was not necessarily um, uh, an agreement on the time of crisis. It was more uh, a U.S. 
policy it was a, a more uh, oh yes mm-hmm. a geopolitical movement because it, there was more than a coffee agreement there was the cocoa agreement there was the cotton agreement there was the sugar agreement there was mm-hmm. the, many of the of the commodities uh, went under the same uh, or, or work under the same system which was uh, actually very clever because it was the way in the in, in which the US used to support many of the commodity producing countries they realized easily that instead of giving money for free and then uh, not receiving anything in change uh, they could ask the rest of the international community to support the um, the producers of uh, of commodities by paying a fair price uh, mm. for the product, so everybody was putting the or or uh, putting money into that, and uh, countries were receiving enough for their commodities. So they they didn't need to ask the U.S. Can you help me here? Can you support me there? Can you? So it was a real clever move. Mm. So we discussed economic sustainability. We've now discussed uh, that agreement, which is important to understanding the coffee price historically. And you answered the question, if you thought coffee's been economically sustainable in the past, what do you suggest are solutions for us today? I know that you've spoken about uh, working together, not acting as two separate parts, but as one chain. What kind of practical application do you think that suggests for the industry? Well, you know, in, in the, the industry should uh, should. Uh, look into several aspects of the coffee world today. The way that we are moving with these prices are bringing many of the coffee growers' communities to go out of coffee. And you just said it. The economics will tell you um, those the weaker should go and the stronger should remain. And the market is the market. And um, in that sense, we are losing something that is beautiful and there is, and it's a treasure in the coffee world, which is the diversity in the coffee world. Coffee is produced all over more than 50 countries around the world with crop profiles differently, with uh, attributes that are uh, unique. We are losing that. That's, that's, that's number one. Number two, we are constant, the industry is concentrated production in those that are stronger. And yet, you're running this, the risk that we are, by means of our nature, located in the tropical countries, in the tropical belt, in the tropical world. And the tropics are the ones that are suffering the most with the climate change. So, yes, you concentrate your production in one or two or five countries. And if by means of what is uh, going on in the world, and we know it will come, Jesse, you will you will remember me. It will come one day. I don't know when Mm. a big problem with the weather in one of the major producing countries. And if the industry relies everything on those and it comes uh, some disaster. With that disaster, we may run out of coffee. And that is the worst scenario. 
I tell you, that is the worst scenario for coffee because then coffee prices will go, I don't know, $10, $20 per pound. And then we, we will have consumers that will say, no, 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 I'm not going to pay $10 or $15 for a cup of coffee. I'm going to move to juice or whatever drink it is. And then we have killed the goose of the golden eggs, which is the, con- the, the growth of the coffee consumption worldwide. Hmm. So this is, this is why we say... We, might, we better work together to avoid uh, those uh, problems in the future. Mr. Roberto, I thank you uh, for coming on the show and discussing these critical topics in the industry today uh, from your perspective and from the perspective of the FNC as you represent it. I have a closing question for you. It's one of uh, my favorite questions to ask our guests because it helps our listeners know what they can do um, how they can respond um, to such issues in the industry. So you know we have listeners from all over the world listening to this episode. What advice would you give our listeners concerning the coffee price crisis? What can they do as consumers, baristas, roasters to make a positive impact on this issue? Well, Jesse, I, I, I just uh, appeal to the, to the coffee consumers to ask the industry, what are you doing with the coffee growers? And we, are, we want the baristas to say we would like to maintain the diversity in the coffee world as we can prepare our coffees the best way possible. And uh, if we have raw materials that are different from all over the world, then we can assemble what is the best coffee that we can offer to our consumers. And to the industry, I just, I just want to tell them, come on, sit together with us and let's do something together and let's move and let's prove that the coffee world is able to assemble itself as the first industry that can claim sustainability all around the world. Hmm. That seems like a, a very good motivator, uh, a very good goal to have as an industry. Um, so thank you for sharing your thoughts. Too. Is there any life advice that you would like to share with our listeners? Anything that you've learned uh, through all your years? It can be coffee-related or unrelated to coffee. Any advice that you feel no. is... Well, there's, there's probably one last thing that I would like to say, that yeah. re- regardless of the coffee prices, regardless of the coffee uh, situation today, Colombia is working on, on a plan with the Federation that we call... A hundred, a hundred. We call a hundred because it is designed to be completed when the Federation because becomes an a hundred year old institution. It means 2027. And mm. it's uh, the other a hundred is that because we will be working to become the first country that can offer the world and the international community a coffee that's a hundred percent sustainable. We've been working on the three pillars very strongly. We have set up our goals and, uh, and our measurements to be able to claim not only that we produce the best coffee in the world quality-wise, but that best coffee is supported by a fully sustainable in- industry that is growing the coffee. Mm, wow. Wow. That's a great goal to have, and, and I, I hope you all have the best uh, in that Thank endeavor. You. Thank you. So, thank you, Jesse. So, Mr. Roberto, thank you for joining us on the show. Jesse, thank you very much, and uh, all the best for the podcast, coffee podcast listening. 
You may have heard it in the news recently. Coffee futures have been reported at 123.70 for December of 2019. I've already seen posts on social media suggesting the coffee price crisis is over. My conversation with Mr. Velez was back in May of 2019 when prices were at 104.60 but had opened at 91.70. So here we are, on this side of things, trying to judge for ourselves if a crisis is over just because a number changed. I want to clarify, I'm by no means a futures trader. The world of economics is not my strong suit. The whole reason I have guests on the show with different sets of expertise is to learn from them, to let them speak their minds, to discern for myself what I think about these matters. I've been trying to do so without an agenda, but we all have our biases. I hope you understand I don't agree with everything my guests have said on the show during this series. I've taken an intentional step back to let this series be what it is, a discussion of perspectives. This series is not for the purpose of uncovering deep controversy or pressuring people in power to change their ways. I've not held a heavy hammer of investigative journalism. I've set out to listen. And I hope that doesn't come across as cowardice. Catch us next time for our final episode in our series, and thus the last episode of 2019 from The Coffee Podcast. Reach out to me at hello at thecoffeepodcast.org or find us on our Instagram and website. I'm Jesse Hartman. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, and until next time, happy brewing.